You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Metzl. I'm a sports medicine physician at Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City. We're really pleased to be joined today by Dr. John Kennedy, who works at Hospital for Special Surgery. John is an orthopedic surgeon and a specialist in foot and ankle problems. There was an article in the New York Times about a year ago looking at custom orthotics. And custom orthotics are, in New York City, many, many hundreds of dollars. These are products which are used to correct people's foot into neutral and basically There is a whole range of products from the -the off-the-shelf orthotics, which are like $25, maybe $30, to the custom orthotics, which can range upwards of $500. And the conclusion of the New York Times was, as well as several studies looking at the efficacy of custom orthotics versus over-the-counter orthotics, that the vast majority of patients didn't need custom orthotics. But that certainly is not the case, that many patients, in fact, do get custom orthotics. So I wanted to start this second half by asking John about the issue around custom orthotics and what his thoughts were about that product. When are they necessary? Are they overprescribed? And what's your thought on how this industry has evolved? It's interesting because we get asked this a lot. And in my business, we do prescribe a lot of orthotics, but many of these don't necessarily need a custom orthotic. There are some very good off-the-shelf orthotics that will address the minor mechanical instabilities that the patients have. For those who have larger mechanical instabilities or those who need an accommodation for a deformity in the foot, certainly custom orthotics are good. But it really is a case per case. You can't say or condemn one or the other. It really is case per case. And I think there was a time where they might have been overprescribed. And I think it's, it's up to the individual doctor to be honest about it and say, well, can I treat this with something just as effective and perhaps not as costly with an off-the-shelf orthotic? John, tell me this. Ankle instability and orthotics. In my practice, I had a number of patients where they've had some combination of a little bit of laxity and a little bit of weakness, we get them stronger. And for some reason, they seem to be much more stable if we get some arch support underneath their foot, particularly if they have a cavus foot, which tends to tip a little bit. What's your thought on the use of any type of arch support as a preventive measure for the person who keeps rolling their ankle? Is there a role for that? There is a role, but it has to be combined with with the other things we talked about in terms of this proprioceptive training and and mechanical training. The idea of an orthotic is that it it is a a static stabilizer, if you like. In other words, that it it tries to restore this tripod configuration, which is very stable. That's the first ray and the second ray has been the base of a tripod and the, the heel being the apex. And if the heel is in a varus position or tilting to the inside, of course, all the weight then is transferred to the outside of the ankle joint. So if you can use a lateral heel wedge and combine that with an arch support, you certainly will give a static stabilizing effect to the foot. But once you put that foot in a position where it is unstable, such as unstable ground or turf, then you need all the other dynamic stabilizers, such as the perineal tendons to be in phase and those proprioceptive fibers to be firing. So it's, it's one part of the jigsaw, but not the complete thing. Fair enough. What about the issue of running shoes? Both you and I are deluged with runners or wannabe runners who are trying to coax their body towards the New York Marathon in some way or another. What about your thought on the evolution of running the running shoe from the first generation Nike, which was, you may recall this one, the kind of white with the red stripe and a flat sole, like a waffle sole and nothing, to where we've come to today. What's your thought on the evolution of the running shoe as foot type and and the way somebody runs? And I know we're talking about overuse injuries, but still on the topic of ankle injuries in sport. It's crazy. And I think the whole industry, in fact, the the running shoe industry is, is developing the way we want to see it. And it's doing that because we 
and they have collaborated. And that's the most important thing, that we collaborate with industry to show them and advise them what's needed out there to prevent these overuse injuries. And we've done that with a number of the, of the major running shoe companies. We actually have a lab, as you know, in the Hospital for Special Surgery, uh, the running lab there where we can put a lot of these athletes through their paces and at the same time measure the forces through their ankle, through their knee and through their hip and then use the various different types of commercial running shoes to see how it affects them. Everybody's foot is a little bit different and just to pick something off the shelf and hope that it'll work for all of us is, is perhaps not realistic. And I think now that what's happening with, the, with industry is they're recognizing that and they're building accommodation for, for different types of feet. So it's certainly moving in the right direction. Been remarkable to see. And as you know, here in New York, a number of the different running stores now have treadmills and video analysis in the store so they can video your foot when you run and see how much you roll and try and suggest a shoe for you. So I think it really has come a long way. It's a common sense approach. Make sure that the person who's advising you knows knows enough and make sure that it, it feels good. You know, one of the things that many of the stores here, they do is they actually get you to, to go outside and run up and down the street. And that's really what you need to do. Does it feel good or is it over pronating or is it over supinating? And so you really need to, rather than just take it out of the box, put it on and literally run up and down. If they have a treadmill, all the better. And there should be an orthodist or there should be a pet orthodist who can look and really advise you professionally rather than a shoe salesman saying that's the right one. There was an old country music song here which was called uh, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up To Be Cowboys, which was basically discouraging parents for raising cowboys as kids. And so I, my question to you, John, is mamas don't let your babies grow up to be marathon runners. What's your thought on that? Healthy or not? It's a great thing. It's, it's honestly the whole running industry is is tremendous for people and for people's health and so forth but there is a point of course when you can overdo it like anything in life and i think part of the, the things that we see is the overuse injuries clever sensible training that's well modulated and it's fine i don't think we were designed necessarily to be running marathons all the time and when you see people doing eight nine marathons a year they're elite athletes so I think that, you know, if you're doing that much mileage, whether it's marathon or triathlon, whatever it is, ultimately you're going to have injuries. And the most important thing is to recognize them when they occur and to deal with them and just to hope that they don't go away because they won't. And, they, and you do need professional help at that point. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Metzl, and our guest today is Dr. John Kennedy, orthopedic surgeon and foot and ankle specialist from Hospital for Special Surgery. Now, John, we talked in the first half about ankle injuries and uh, touched on the imaging of ankle injuries, meaning how MRI has really changed the equation, allowing us to look not only at the ankle itself, but look inside the bone, look for edema, look for cartilage wear patterns. And something which I know you're interested in is the issue of osteochondral injuries in the ankle and in the talus predominantly. So why don't you give us a little scenario of how the patient would come into your office with an osteochondral injury to the talus or to the ankle, and how would you go about kind of helping them figure out that maybe what they have, and, and then we can talk about how we take care of those? Well, typically, it's um, an osteochondral injury can be either from a traumatic type and or the de novo type, and the de novo type of osteochondral injury may be from a bone cyst or some form of vascular malformation, and that generally occurs in the bone first. And if you think of the, the bone being the scaffold in which the cartilage lies, ultimately with repetitive loading, either from an inversion injury or from even marathon running, can cause the cartilage simply to fall into that cyst. And that's the de novo type of osteochondral lesion. The traumatic type is generally caused by inversion injuries or repetitive inversion injuries. And in those cases, the cartilage is injured first 
with bone bruising and bone cavitation as a secondary result of that. So the standard now really for in terms of diagnosing that, obviously the careful clinical history and evaluation, but it really is down now to modern imaging modalities such as MRI and CT, where you can really get a, a good sense of what is going on with the cartilage and how much bone is involved. In those cases where there is a traumatic injury just to the cartilage itself, those are amenable to arthroscopic debridement and microdrilling. And when you microdrill, you don't get normal cartilage, you get fiber cartilage. But if the defect is small, in other words, if it's less than six millimeters, that fiber cartilage appears to be robust enough that it won't predispose you to further degeneration and arthritis. In the cases where it's larger than that, or when there is a cavitation of the bone or there's a cyst in the bone, those are the cases that we have to consider doing osteochondral autograft transplants. Now, we get those in general from the ipsilateral knee through a small incision, a small arthrotomy, and we take a little tube. It's just like the old apple core we used to use to take out the, the core of an apple. It's the same device, essentially. It's about an eight-millimeter core. And we take that plug, which is both bone and cartilage, and we put that into the area of the defect within the talus. And those patients do well. And in this case, it's replacing cartilage with cartilage. And the long-term studies of that are very encouraging. And I think that's really where we're going. We're doing a lot of work here at the Hospital of Special Surgery, looking at various types of cartilage replacements, looking at triggers, which are genetic triggers using hedgehog protein to try and stimulate native cartilage to grow. The big problem is when we put these pastes in or these matrices into the area, they tend to work well in the lab, but when you put them actually into a real live talus that's moving, of course, they get washed away. And so the mechanical effect is something that we still have yet to work on. So it's a very exciting area to be working in, and particularly because, as I said, with modern imaging modalities, we're seeing that more and more and more patients do have these chondral injuries. And in a recent study, it was interesting to see that about 60% of patients who had an ankle inversion injury had a chondral injury of some sort. That's an enormous number, and it's only diagnosed, it's said in the old days when we got an x-ray, of course, we didn't see this. And so when patients had this chronic ankle pain afterwards, we just said, suck it up, and off you go. Now we're recognizing that there is something going on in there. And it's a relatively simple, if you catch it early, it's a relatively simple procedure to microdrill it with a very, very predictable outcome. Let's say you're working in a primary care clinic. You don't have MRI right downstairs like we do at Hospital for Special Surgery, but you're out someplace that's not accessible to you. How are you going to identify the person who may have a osteochondral or chondral injury versus the patient that just has rolled their ankle? How, how will that be different clinically? Well, generally, it's more of a chronic-type pain. The ankle instability oftentimes is not necessarily painful. It's, it's inconvenient, and it's, it's painful at the time that they roll it, but it isn't a constant dull ache that they have. The osteochondral injury will be that typical dull ache, generally precipitated by running or repetitive loading. That's just on the history aspect of things. Oftentimes, of course, they will have had a history of repetitive inversion injuries. On the examination, if you put the talus into full plantar flexion, you actually bring the most commonly injured area, which is in fact the central portion of the Taylor dome, both central medial and central lateral, you bring that into an area where you can actually palpate. And palpating in there will actually elicit pain. It's an interesting exam because we don't often do it, but if you do, just press into those lateral and medial aspects of the central dome and it'll elicit pain. 
So that's just on the clinical exam. Now, of course, if you have access to an X-ray, on those cases which have cystic changes within the bone, you'll see that on X-ray. And if you look for it again, both in the central lateral and central medial. Traditionally, we always thought it was anterolateral, and, but it's not in terms of these traumatic. Again, a study we've done here has shown that the vast majority of these are central lesions. And if you think about the anatomy, that's the closest or approximating area where the tibial plafond hits off the, off the talus in an inversion plantar flexion injury. You talked about both the acute traumatic and the overuse osteochondral injury. Which is more common? The traumatic much more common. Yeah, we see that. And I think we're going to be seeing that more and more. The more imaging modalities we do, it'll be diagnosed more readily. Well, terrific, John. Thanks so much for joining us today. You've been a terrific and very informative guest. Many thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Jordan Metzl. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MDXM-157.